Welcome to the podcast of Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. We hope that you enjoy the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. If you would turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, and we'll be beginning in verse 34 today. Matthew 22. Beginning in verse 34. Um, Everybody likes to talk about love, right? Even the Beatles. All we need is love, right? All we need is love. Um, And uh, it it is very appealing to us that, that Jesus said the greatest commandment is love. Love God and love your neighbor. And, um, that, that is, is wonderful. It is freeing. I mean, we don't have to worry about all that Old Testament stuff. We just love one another, right? And yet, uh, I think it is one of the things that is so misunderstood in our culture today because our culture has a skewed view of what love is. Our, Our culture says that love is just leaving people alone and letting them do whatever they want. That, that seems to be what love is to our culture. Our, our culture seems to think love is live and let live. And yet, I think we see a definition of love in the Bible that is very different from what our culture has. Let's go ahead and look at our text beginning in verse 34 of Matthew 22. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, one of them, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest in the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great first, this is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all of the law and prophets. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to obey. Lord, help us to receive your word. Nourish us on them. Help us to sense your love for us. Fill us with love for one another and for you. Lord, we love you because you first loved us in Jesus' name. Amen. Begins, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. We have these two parties, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, we hear so often that they were confronting Jesus. And as we have been looking at Matthew chapters 21 and 22, so much of this has been, uh, all of them have been questions that the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians, the scribes, all these religious groups were coming to Jesus with these questions trying to stump him. And here's another one. The Pharisees, they were happy because they, they were at odds with the Sadducees. And they were like, oh, listen here, the Sadducees just got stumped. 
Yeah. <laughs> Maybe they were cheering Jesus on for just a second, and then they remembered who they were talking about. <laughs> they, 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 were, they were happy that Jesus had stumped the Sadducees, but then they, they remembered themselves, and they decided they would come as well. Verse 35, it says, And one of them, the, one of the Pharisees, a lawyer, that would be a teacher of the law, or one of the scribes, somebody who was an expert in the law, and by the law, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean the civil law, it's somebody who was, was studying the, the law, the, the, the Torah, the, the Scriptures. He, he had studied under a rabbi, or, or he, had, he, had, he was an expert in knowing the Old Testament. This lawyer asked him the question to test him. Again, just like all these other questions, it was an insincere question. He was testing Jesus. He was trying to find some kind of weakness, see if he would be able to trip Jesus up. And he says, teacher, false respect. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law. This was not an uncommon question. This was a question that was debated by the rabbis. This was a question that had answers that many of the rabbis would have known at the time. There was one rabbi who, who, said, who basically said that the greatest commandment was kind of like the inverse of what Jesus said and what we call the, the golden rule. Instead of saying, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, he said, whatever you don't want people to do to you, don't do to them. That was what he thought was the greatest of the commandments. And another rabbi, he actually came up with the same answer that Jesus did. So it was not uh, unheard of. This was not necessarily something unique. And we know this also from Luke, because Luke, just before we see the story of the prodigal, not the prodigal son, but the uh, Good Samaritan, the parable of the Good Samaritan, someone asked Jesus, how can I have eternal life? And Jesus tells him, we'll do what the commandments say. And, and he says, well, what does the law say? What does the law say? And this scribe or this, this uh, teacher at that time, he answers the same thing that Jesus does. So it was not anything necessarily new. Jesus answers, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love the, your neighbor as yourself. Jesus didn't come up with these things. Oh, well, actually, he did because he's God. <laughs> he's God. He revealed these things. But this was not the first time people had heard these things. Um, Ron read from Deuteronomy 5, but in Deuteronomy 6, 5, we have the very same statement that Jesus said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And in Deuteronomy, or not in Deuteronomy, in Leviticus 19.18, it says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. What Jesus answered was directly out of the Torah, out of the first five books of the Bible. So he wasn't coming up with something brand new. He was just quoting Scripture. But this last part is unique. 
He says, on these two commandments depend the law and the prophets. On these two commandments depend the law and the prophets. There were other ways that the rabbis had explained it, but not exactly in these words. All the law and the prophets depend upon these two things. Now, it's common, and, and I think we can do this, all, every other law in the Bible all is, can be boiled down to love your neighbor, love God, and love your neighbor. But also, one other thing we need to remember is if we don't have love, just like Paul said, we're like a sounding brass. If we, if we can speak with the tongues of men and angels, if we have, can prophesy, if we can do all these things, but we have not love, we're empty. And if we can be meticulously obedient to every little single command, and we don't love God and love our neighbor, then our righteousness is filthy rags. Our hearts must be motivated by love to keep the commandments. And if our hearts are not motivated by love to keep the commandments, then all it is is legalism. Trying to please God by our works will never get there. I want to look at the Ten Commandments. The confession reading that we read said that there are two tables in the law. You have the first table that's about our duties toward God, and the second table is about our duties toward man. People have recognized this for centuries. But in Deuteronomy, we're... Ron read from, uh, give me just a moment to turn there. We see these Ten Commandments. Deuteronomy 5. Skip to page. You shall have no other gods before me. And in that context and in that day, there were all kinds of gods. You had Marduk, and you had Baal, and you had uh, uh, all, all kinds of, of different gods. Dagon, one of the gods of the Philistines. You could just multiply all these different names for different kind of gods, fertility gods. And you had the moon god, and the sun god, and all these different gods. The, the Lord said, you shall have no other god before me. And we think in our modern ways, we think, well, that's one, that one's easy because we, we wouldn't be so primitive as to get down in front of some idol and worship it. And yet, we put things in our priorities before God. And whatever we put as our priority before God becomes our God. If we put as our priority our own comfort, if we put as our priority our bank account, if we put as our priority anything, 
It can even be good things. Our family. Our career. Anything we put before God, even if it's a good thing, is idolatry. And he says, you shall not make for yourself the carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven or that is on the earth beneath. We think, oh, another easy one. Oh, we're not bowing down to any idols. He says the term image. And our minds, our 21st century minds are so captured by images. If we can make a God out of anything, even good things, how often we can worship images. The things that we see, the things that attract our eyes and suck us in. And also... I think this is a warning against having the wrong view of God. God is not something that you can represent in some kind of image. The image of God is Jesus Christ. The image of God. We have been created in the image of God. God didn't want us making all kinds of images because He had given us His image. Our being is His image. And we are to be conformed daily more and more into the image of Christ His Son. And when we have the wrong view of God, if we, I mean, if we don't believe that Jesus was God, maybe that He was, you know, the highest of all creations, like the Jehovah's Witnesses do, That's not the God of the Bible. And that is having an image, basically, in our own mind. We don't have to make it scribbled out anywhere, but it's in our own mind, a different view of God than what we see in the Bible. Taking the Lord's name in vain. You shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. We often think about that as using... The Lord's name is a curse word, like um, saying something, we hit our thumb with a hammer and we might say something, or we might be really angry at a person and say something that I can't even repeat here because I'm so concerned about that. But how often, see the word there, to take the name of the Lord your God in vain is more like to bear, to carry. And when we claim to be a Christian, we claim to follow Jesus, and we don't live like it, we are taking the Lord's name in vain. We are saying, I follow Jesus. And we don't really mean it. Observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Well, this could take a whole sermon on its own. You know, all of the other commandments besides this one in the New Testament were repeated. And yet we have a different relationship with the Sabbath. What Jesus does with the Sabbath, so many times he's accused of breaking the Sabbath. And yet Jesus says, don't you know, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. We see Paul saying, 
Someone may worship God on one day and someone may worship God on another day and don't judge each other based on what day you worship. Now, there is a principle that stands. I do believe that we are to make time and make a priority of our time to have time to worship God and come together as believers to worship Him. And to make time to rest. Our bodies are not made to work and work and work and work and never rest. He commands us for our own good to take a break. Isn't that a wonderful commandment? Amen. And yet, this commandment is also like a hinge. We've been talking about all these commands that are about our relationship between God and us, and yet this one is also about our relationship between man and man. Between It's, it's one way we love our neighbor, because if we continue on, it says neither you nor your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey. So this is not only in a, a, a command for us, as individuals to stop our labor and take time to worship and rest, it is also a command to those who employ people. I love Chick-fil-A. <laughs> I love Chick-fil-A and, and uh, Hobby Lobby. They, let, they, they close on Sundays and allow their workers time to go to church, have time with family, all those things. Being an oppressive employer and demanding out of your employees so much that they never get to take a rest and they never get to work. That is guilt on the employer. That is, that is a sin against God. I'm not wanting to blame somebody who's having to work. I'm blaming the employer. And one more thing here. What day should we practice the Sabbath? We have the Seventh-day Adventists to say, well, there's nowhere in the Bible that says that the Sabbath changed to Sunday. And so they still worship on Saturdays. Yet we see the practice of the early church was that they met together on Sundays, on the first day of the week. We have places where it says that like Paul says, when you come together on the first day of the week to take a collection. That's one thing we see in Paul. And on, in, in the book of Revelation, John says he has his vision on the Lord's Day, referring to the first day of the week. This is a complicated issue. Again, I could spend a whole sermon on this. and We got a late start, so I don't want to spend too much time on it. But here's, here's what I think we can boil it down to. In the Old Testament, this is not original to me, but in the Old Testament, Saturday, the seventh day of the week, was the Sabbath because all week long you were looking forward to that break. It anticipated something coming. And in the church, our rest is here. Jesus has come. Jesus is our rest. We are no longer anticipating something coming. 
We have rested in Christ. He has come. And now on the first day of the week, we come together to worship and to rest. And all week long, we live in the light of the fact that we have Jesus, our rest. Amen. Amen. Honor your father and your mother. And how many of us of all, at one point, kids are kids. Kids sometimes get rebellious. We say things, and then even us as adults, it's still time to honor our parents. I think it's such a beautiful thing that, um, Mike, you take care of your mom. You took care of your dad while he was on hospice. It's a beautiful, huh? Two brothers. And yeah, and two brothers. Then my mom, she, and maybe there are others too, but I just know these particular cases. My mom, she has my grandpa living with her, and she takes care of him. And and my uncle Lorne has my grandmother living with him, rather than just putting somebody in a nursing home and forgetting about them. They invite them into their home. I think that's one way we honor our father and our mother. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. That may not be the option for everyone, and there's some some uh, medical conditions that may limit that. But whenever it's possible, I think it's such a beautiful, beautiful thing where we honor our parents. You shall not murder. And we know from. The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says if you have hatred in your brother, hatred in your heart for your brother, you've committed murder. You shall not commit adultery. We know Jesus also said in the Sermon on the Mount, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery already. You shall not steal. I think the same thing applies because we have the last of the commandments and you shall not covet your neighbor's wife and you shall not desire your neighbor's house or his field. When Jesus said, if you look at, your, look at a woman with lust in your heart, he was just basically applying the 10th commandment. If you desire your neighbor's wife. If you stealing it's just the tenth it, it, you, you'd apply that through the tenth commandment as well you if you desire something you broke both commandments do not bear false witness against your neighbor and so oftentimes we lie maybe we lie because we're ashamed we feel guilty we don't want to be caught and we've all fallen short how uplifting this is. Each of these commandments, five through six, are about loving our neighbor. Each of commandments one through four are about loving God. So, from one perspective, when we come to the New Testament, I think we have a liberty and a freedom where our focus should be love God and love our neighbor, and that, the rest will take care of itself. If we love God and we love our neighbor, then the rest should take care of itself. Yet we have to define love consistently with what we see here. Not take the world's definition of love. If we want to know what love looks like, let's look to what 
the Bible describes. But finally, just like Jesus shows us in the Sermon on the Mount, none of us can do it. None of us can do it. We have all fallen short. And that is why God commended his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If all we had was love your neighbor, love God, we would still be going to hell. Because that's all just law. And we could never keep the law. Even if that was all the law, if we got rid of all the other commandments in the Old Testament just said, love God, love your neighbor, we'd all still go to hell. Because we couldn't do it. Only Jesus could. He came and showed us what love is. God commanded his love and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He gave himself as a ransom for many. He went to the cross. He died. He rose again. And we are now brothers and sisters. If we put faith in him, we trust in him. We take his death to our account. We are risen with righteousness that is not our own, but it is Jesus's. We also know that we now have a power to love that we didn't have before. We can love God because He first loved us. We can't do it on our own. We had to be loved by Him. And He changes us from the inside out. And He gives us a love for others we never had before. I think we also see this demonstrated in the Ten Commandments. Before, Jesus, before the Lord gives the Ten Commandments, before He gives the very first one, He says, I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He's able to give those laws to the people because He had already redeemed them. I'm the Lord who brought you out of the house of slavery. Therefore, keep these commands. The law is given in the context of redemption. We don't keep the law as Christians in order to be saved. No. We have been redeemed and He fills us with His Spirit. He fills us with His power. He fills us with His love that overflows so that we can love God and we can love our neighbor in ways that we never could as the natural man. That's why we had to be born again. That's why we need a new heart. It's not something that's possible until He's changed us from the inside out. So we'll close with this. Love God. Love each other. Love our neighbors. Because He first loved us. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. For more information, please visit us at RedeemerBaptistPanama.com or you can like us on Facebook.